You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimal of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Have you heard? Did you hear? Have you have you heard? I thought everyone had heard. No, we're not going to do that. No way. We're not going there. But where we will go is to Sinusoid. For all our cabling needs. You got a guitar rig. You got instrument cables. You got a pedal board. You got things that need connected. You need to go to Sinusoid. And if you're looking for a top quality instrument cable you need to check out the Sinusoid Slate. That is their very own proprietary... Propriate? I shouldn't be saying... I have no business saying that word. I'm not going to say it. Proprietary. Uh, okay, forget it. They've got a great cable, okay? They've designed everything from the amount of capacitance it has to the type of jacket material it has, so it, the way it slides on stage, the way it feels in your hand, everything about the Slate they designed in-house and is exclusive to them. So go to sinusoid.com and check out the Slate if you want one of the best instrument cables backed by one of the best warranties in the business. A hundred years. They will hook you up. Yes, Sinusoid. They're the best. And if you don't know, time to get familiar. Go to sinusoid.com. You know what else? I want to talk about something else in this section right here. I want to talk to you about the Tone Mob Patreon. I usually save this plug for the end of the episodes, but since I haven't done one at the beginning, I decided to mix it together. We're going to mix it with another plug right now. So, Tone Mob Patreon, what's that about? Well, you can go there, and it's a place where you can get extra episodes. If you have not heard on these last few episodes, we've kind of plugged it, told you where to go, Tone Mob Doc. No, I did it again. Patreon.com slash ToneMob. We're doing things a little backwards this time. Patreon.com slash ToneMob. You can go there. You can see all the various levels that are available and the different um, rewards that come with signing up for each level. And at the $5 level is kind of the, the magic level. That's where you get extra episodes. And what do those extra episodes encompass, you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm really glad. We've got a wide range of things there. Um, a lot of them are me and my good friend Justin Porter were there shooting the breeze in the shred shed, talking about gear, talking about food, talking about all the normal stuff you would expect Tone Mob people to be talking about because yeah, it's kind of what this show's all about. So you can get some of that. Also, there's additional, um, a little bit extended versions of the podcast. So we've got um, actually this this podcast today with the folks from Strymon. We've got a few extra minutes. I think we got 10, 15 minutes of extra episodes. It's actually on the shorter side. Next week, we'll have, I think, like an additional 45 minutes or more. It, it was long. I just got done recording it today, and it was long. 
uh, with the guys from Electro Foods, and we get into crazy things with robots and and you know it you know strange Japanese guitars and all kinds of stuff on there. So there's a lot of extra content on the Tone Mob Patreon feed if you are interested, including a really really excellent extended cut of not extended cut additional cut an add-on if you will to the episode with sean arbo from gun street wiring shop yes they sponsored this episode i mean they make fantastic products sean's an awesome guy and if you need anything done in your guitar wiring wise they're definitely the place to go hit up gun street wiring shop you'll see what i'm talking about they've got everything under the sun that you could think of sean can make it happen but what I want to talk to you about is Sean's appearance on the Tone Mob Patreon was excellent. Um, he really got into some more personal stuff that we didn't talk about on the regular feed episode that he did a while back. And it was really um, it was really inspiring to me, honestly, uh, the way he handled and has uh, kind of mentally handled a very difficult situation was was really uh, it was really inspiring. So. You want to go check all that out. That is patreon.com slash tone mob. At the $5 level, every week you get fresh extra tone mob content. And if you want the best wiring harnesses in the business, you go to gunstreetwiringshop.com and check them out. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the ToneMob.com podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have Ethan and Pete from Strymon. How's it going, guys? I'm, do- I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good. Thanks. I'm doing splendid. Doing this thing, that little awkward thing where we have to pretend like we weren't just talking and then we started recording. Sure. So, I've, we've never spoken. <laughs> ever. 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 Um... But we haven't actually spoken that much. Actually, uh, quite often I've I've had like several hour conversations with guests sometimes. So this is a little bit fresh for me. So it's sure. uh, it's all good. Definitely. Um, but you know, we'll just get started here with the kind of the the basic question. This probably uh, applies to Pete more more so than Ethan. But I want to hear from you too. But um, this usually goes for quite a quite a long time. So. Everybody knows Strymon. They're very well regarded in the industry, obviously. And I think it would be interesting uh, to hear from Pete, like, what was kind of your musical backstory and how did that lead into where we are today? Um, Well, I started playing guitar as a uh, young teenager, like many young teenagers do. And um, I always loved playing guitar like right from the start of when I picked up a guitar I knew it wasn't just going to be some sort of like you know passing fad and then as I was finishing high school and uh, getting into college or applying for college I was trying to had to figure out what kind of major I wanted to be and I was always good in math and science and when I was looking at the names of the courses for electrical engineering it had seen things like you know uh, active filter design and amplifier design and they weren't specifically for guitar amplifiers or things like that, but I knew that the connection was, hey, th- this is this is the thing to to learn about if you want to, you know, be interested in uh, doing things that are going to be related to music and you know music electronics and things. So I ended up 
getting a degree in electrical engineering and uh, kind of had a, uh, uh, I guess you'd say, a, you know, grown up job for three years after I got out of college at uh, Analog <laughs> Devices, who uh, are in uh, based in Massachusetts, but they're actually uh, when I worked there, started working there, it was actually in the mid '80s, and it was before the advent of the you know TSP chip. But it turns out now that Analog Devices is the company that we're using uh, our DSPs from. But um, that was kind of you know far in the future at that point. So I worked there for three years and just kind of always had this, uh, and that was back in Massachusetts. And then I had this, um, I was just kind of bug in me that I would you know head out to California someday just to kind of not with any sort of grand scheme of a plan, just to, you know, head out and see what uh, would happen. So I actually did that and I came out and went to Musicians, Musicians Institute in Hollywood, uh, which had the uh, guitar program. It was a 12 month program. And I figured I'd just go there and, you know, see what happens. I was, you know, I guess wanted to explore the possibility of, you know, would it be, you know, any possibility that I'd be able to make, make a living as a guitar player in, in some fashion. And it was a great year and I learned a lot. And what I learned was I wasn't going to make a living as a guitar player, but <laughs> I was already in California and it's like, oh, this is where a lot of the companies that do this stuff, uh, this is where they're located. So and again, this is before the internet. So I got my pen and paper and uh, wrote some letters to some companies. And one of the companies was Alesis Electronics, which was in uh, Culver City. And um, I started working for them in 1989. This was before the ADAT was, uh, you know, was uh, in existence. And uh, I think the, the new product was the Quadriverb had just come out. I don't know if these these old uh, products mean anything to you, but... Oh, yeah, was, they do. Definitely. Yeah, it There's was legendary. Very, it was quite, yeah, quite an exciting time. Um, uh, and that's kind of, that got me into this industry. So that was darn close to 30 years ago. So I've, <laughs> I've been, you know, started working for them and then have been in the industry and, um, you know, ever since then until... Uh, and uh, that's, you know, got me, you know, once once you're in this industry, it's like you don't want to go out of it because then especially having worked in kind of, you know, other uh, more serious industries, you realize it's a it's kind of a unique combination of. Uh, um, you don't have to wear pants, basically. You show up to yeah. work, it's not a big deal. <laughs> the, yeah. The, the, the environment and the kind of, I guess, the, 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 the whole attitude of, of the industry just, you know, really suited me right from the start. So uh, so I'm still here and. Now we're here. Yep, I know exactly what you mean. I <laughs> I I recently have gotten to be full time in the industry myself, and I'm like, what was I doing? This is <laughs> so much better, yeah. so much better. Yeah. Um, but so can you maybe you can clarify this for me because I honestly am a little bit ignorant to it. Although I I have a Facebook group based around this podcast, and there were some people asking questions when I told them you guys were coming on the show. Um. What's, what's the, as much as you can tell me, you know, I know there's certain things you can't talk about with, with uh, certain topics, but what is the damage control Strymon? What, how did that kind of evolve? What's, what's the, what's the story there? Well, we started off as damage control, um, back in 2004. Four, yes. Yeah. So, um, it was Greg, Pete and Dave essentially that, um, that started that out, um, and made some two two base products and you know they sold they sold okay um there were a few things we learned from that experience um and some of it was okay we got to make these things a little bit smaller we're going to make them more efficient um you know all and while while all was that go, while all that was going on you know we're learning new things about um dsp um 
So that in 2008, um, we decided to basically kind of take a fresh start and uh, rebrand uh, Strymon. And that is some, that's when we decided to, you know, obviously release our, I think we started off with Obi-Wan and Blue Sky and Orbit, Ola and El Capistan right around that time. Um, you know, it was just, it was a good opportunity to, to kind of take a look at what, what we had done in the past and really just kind of give it a, a fresh face. Um, mm -hmm. And since then we started out with just a few people and now, now there's a, quite a few people working here now that are all helping us um, get these products out into the world. Cool. Cool. Now I should have, uh, I jumped ahead of probably what or, where I should have. Uh, why don't we go back a step and let you, Ethan, kind of tell us, uh, tell your version of that story and then we'll come back to what you're just talking about. That was my mistake. Um, I mean, my story was similar in a way where I, you know, I, I started off, um, for me, it was kind of recording. I had a four track recorder back when I was in high school and I used to record all these silly songs. I rush home from school and, and I'd, I'd have a drum set, I'd have, you know, guitar, bass, and I would sing and just try to record as much as possible. And, um, you know, that was, that was kind of before I could afford a Pro Tools rig. So it was all on cassette. Mm -hmm. Um, but from there, you know, I, I think after I graduated from high school, I, you know, I went to college for music and then I figured, okay, how am I going to actually turn this into something where I can make some money? Um, you know, I, I, I'm not like a great musician. I'm sort of a jack of all trades, master of none. I can, my, I would call my instrument songwriting. That's kind of what I do. Um, but I'm not like a great guitar player. I'm not a great singer. Um, it's all about kind of crafting a song. Um, so I came out to California figuring, okay, well, this is where a lot of this stuff is happening. Um, and I quick re quickly realized, same as Pete, that, ah, you know what? I don't think I want to struggle. I don't think I want to be a struggling musician. I want to make music, I want, but I want to be able to survive and pay my mortgage. So right. um, I ended up getting a job. Um, at line six and I was there for a very long time and I learned a lot about, um, this industry and, you know, product development and marketing. And, and I also realized that, um, you don't need a degree to really kind of market these products. You just have to have a really good understanding of what understanding of musicians and what people like to do and how you can inspire people. Um, so I dropped out of college and, um, never went back. And, uh, here we are a few years later at Strymon and, now it's it's kind of nice because I can for me I can uh, still record uh, music for for work you know if we have a new video or something like that coming out I can record here and make songs and record guitar clips and that kind of stuff so that's kind of my my path to uh, to where uh, I am now. So you guys have both been been with it for you know basically since the beginning sounds like or really close to it. I joined I joined um, the team right around 2010 right before we released El Capistan but okay, obviously gotcha. yeah Pete's been here maybe you were here yeah. like week three or something <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty much right from the from the start yeah yeah right from the start so was there a you sent so Pete you said you went to school for um you know electronic and engineering is do you find that I I, you know, through talking to a lot of people there's seems to be guys that are very good in the analog realm and guys that strength more lies in the DSP. Strymon is mainly known for DSP-based stuff. Was there much of a curve there for uh, getting into that, or was it like a fairly easy 
transition or workaround for that for that well i had um been exposed like my background you know from from school in the early days i was was uh analog but it was actually um you know working at um at analog devices i was you know they they make semiconductors so i was actually like involved in the teams that were doing the, the layout and the design on the transistor level of of these uh chips so when i started working for Alesis, it was a nice fit because they were doing um they were doing their own custom they were called asics application specific ic's it was very um forward thinking no one else in the industry that i knew of certainly at that time was doing that because again this was before dsps were actually you know something that existed you you, you basically you would have to get a whole bunch of logic logic chips to put these crazy systems together that's why they were like on these huge circuit boards but um Alesis was actually doing their own uh design of custom uh integrated circuits so that's what i did at Alesis, and um uh, i was working closely closely with keith barr who is the uh, uh owner of Alesis. um and uh, he was really, a, I guess, a, you know, I would, I, I don't use the term lightly, but I'd say he was a genius and, and a visionary in his own right. And just, uh, you know, a great mentor. And uh, one of the projects we were working on was making uh, our own A to D and D to A converters, you know, integrated mm -hmm. circuits. And that in itself kind of entails some uh, fairly uh, involved um, signal processing to uh take you know I, I won't go into the details but it was it was actually that was where i learned uh, quite a bit about some of the the concepts of signal processing and it was um a really uh you know an interesting way to do it because as i was learning about it i was actually you know designing these circuits on a um it, you could think of a circuit board might have like four layers or so where you've got you know some traces on the top and the bottom and some some sandwiched in the middle well mm -hmm. uh, an integrated circuit is like a 15 or 16 layer circuit board and there's, you know, rules and things. So, you know, it all kind of came together along with the, the signal processing um, to, uh, you know, to give you a, a good foundation. And then um, I, I started working at line six in 2000. And um, when I got there, they didn't have a specific project, but I had known um, the guys at line six uh, had worked closely with uh, Alesis for a number of projects. So, they knew me, and uh, when I started working for them, they said, "Hey, we don't really have a, you know, anything like exactly that, you know, for you to do, other than we've got this idea of making a, a guitar that's kind of like our amplifiers, a guitar that can sound like other guitars." And they said, "If you're interested, you know, you can kind of just get started doing some research." And I said, "Sure, that sounds fun." And uh, it was really just wide open. It was just like a, a blank piece of paper. They weren't telling me what to do or how how to do it. So I had a kind of a you know, a lot of stuff to figure out, but also the resources of, you know, the smart people that were also working there uh, at line six. So, you know, I learned, you know, it basically, you know, like I said, I started, I started in this industry in 1989. So you can get, you can learn a lot by osmosis over the course of, you know, a decade, decades, you know, or more. So um, it, it, along with the, you know, good fundamental background in electronics that I got from college, um, which was is still very important to kind of understand the basic concepts, you know, from uh, from that level. Um, I've just slowly absorbed over time and continue to absorb, you know, new concepts and things. But um, 
so when we started uh, uh, damage control, you know, the idea was, okay, let's, let's use these analog devices, processors, and let's, you know, if we write the code in C, it, uh, it allows for, you know, very uh, fast kind of prototyping and, um, you, you know, it allows for a lot of creativity because you could just um, almost at a high level, you just kind of put these ideas down in code and then, and then listen to them, you know, directly in real time. So that was, uh, that was how, you know, it kind of, it's kind of evolved slowly, but I didn't have to try to like go from being an analog guy to just learning how to be a DSP guy. But then at the same time, we have Greg Stock, who's our analog guy, who is, you know, I don't know if you're going to find a, you know, more, more accomplished analog guy, you know, in this industry than he is. And, um, you know, so along with our, you know, digital processing, which gets maybe a little more of the, the limelight of, of here's how things, you know, might be a little more glamorous uh, to talk about creating the sound that way. But, you know, the, the signal to noise ratio and the signal path and fidelity and all that kind of stuff, that's where analog engineering comes in. And, um, you know, and Greg makes sure that we're kind of at the, uh, forefront in terms of you know that kind of performance as well yeah you certainly can't you know you can have the greatest uh the greatest uh, dsp processing in the world but if the analog circuitry surrounding it uh, makes it filtered and sound like garbage then it's not really going to do any good so it's exactly correct yeah mm -hmm. yeah they both have to be they both have to be working right mm -hmm. for sure for sure um was there other than like just the branding and and all that stuff was was it a like very conscious shift to go from the damage control vacuum tube type thought process where now like Strymon is obviously very known for its DSP like that's what is kind of praised about the company was that just like we'll try this and see what happens or did you guys kind of look ahead and go yeah this is where the industry's going this is where we need to we need to be the guys um a little of both, but I mean, one of the the our damage control products, um, the last couple that we did were the damage control timeline and the damage control glass nexus. Now, but so the timeline was our big green delay, and it still had two vacuum tubes. One was a, a tube buffer on the input into the DSP, and then a tube buffer on the way out. But the actual processing inside that was really the genesis for, you know, a lot of what has become Strymon, um, you know, as we know it today, that that product was really, you know, a great testing ground of, um, of the way that we, uh, you know, kind of approach the whole DSP thing and, and uh, you know, the way we, our workflow, um, and just, you know, the continued ideas that, um, you know, that we have developed, uh, so it, it really is kind of an ongoing process. I think the, the more conscious thing was to say, you know, look, the tubes, the tubes are, are cool. And, um, and, you know, it, but the problems they present are, it requires, uh, you know, a power supply that's not conventional. It adds weight. Um, you know, our, I don't know what the damage control pedals weight. I don't know if how many pounds they were, but you know, they were big and they weighed, a, <laughs> uh, they weighed a chunk, you know, we, and you know, we, you know, occasionally we'd see people come in and they'd have, you know, a, a one of our two preamps and a, uh, maybe a, a, one of the, we had a distortion, you know, we had kind of a three, uh, you know, series of pedals. And if someone had, you know, three of our pedals on their pedal board, it's like, well, wow, that's, that's kind of a beast of a pedal board. And, you know, 
we at that point we realized that you know you really have to take into consideration you know space and weight and just you know ease of of uh, um, you know mounting and power you know uh, support and those kind of things. So um, you know it was it was a continuation of what we'd been doing along with some conscious efforts to say let's let's really make these pedals that are, you know are going to really just be nice to put on your board and not create you know, a different kind of problem for, for people. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. And I would say that that's, uh, that's been well accomplished. I have a deco and I really, really oh, nice, like nice. it. So <laughs> I think that's my, I, I don't know if, I mean, you guys would know better than me, but I feel like that one doesn't get enough like love. Well, I think that's, that's the coolest pedal. I love it. That's, that's a tough one because I think for a lot of people, you know, you, you have a set type of pedal that you, you're aware of and that you understand what they do. Okay. You know what a delay is, you know what a chorus is, you know what a <clears throat> overdrive is, but and it was, and I'll admit this was, this was a tough one for us to market too, because we're trying to create sort of something that didn't really exist in pedal form before. Um, and it does a lot of things, but it's, and it's a very unique thing. That's kind of hard to explain in words. You sort of have to experience it. Um, so yeah, I, I I think it, it definitely was a it was a challenge for us to to get the word out and maybe it is I, I'd say it's probably a little bit underrated, um, but yeah because you can get um, everything from um, tape flanging to tape chorusing to uh, ec slapback echoes and, and delays and and all the saturation and, and all the juicy goodness that goes along with with tape. Yeah, for sure. I yeah. I mean, I think the tricks that it, it can pull off are, are like you said really unique and I I uh I played one at Nam and it was basically like, "Oh, I'm buying one of these." Like, <laughs> this is this is like I played all of them. I thought they were all good. Um but that one for some reason I just like, "Yeah, I got to get one of these when I get home." Sweet. This is, yeah. This is my jam. It's definitely yeah. one of those pedals that you kind of have to try it. I mean, I think it's because because it, it can do a lot, and and uh, I think once you once you see like the the flexibility and versatility of it, you'll be like, oh, oh, I totally get it now. And it's got the cool auto flange when you. Oh yes, on the, uh... auto flange, mm -hmm. and I I use it for some weird stuff. I I have it, I use it in kind of a weird way. I put it after my reverbs, um, and I turn up the wobble like a lot because I like sort of the very seasick kind of '80s VHS kind of degraded sound so if you're looking to try something a little odd put it after your delays it's pretty weird i, I will i've never i've not tried that before yeah <laughs> that's interesting very interesting it, it, so, yeah, you, so, you might not like it but that's i just i, I think it's pretty cool <laughs> i'll give it a try <laughs> um i like to use it a, as a slapback with a ton of saturation um mm. but just a but uh, a lot of dry signal so it's just kind of there like right, it right. just adds this character to it that's just really nice on dirty or clean guitars. I think it's pretty cool. But, Sweet, awesome. Um, since we're talking specific uh, specific products, I I would like to ask you guys about your uh, your dirt boxes um, because not too many people are making DSP based dirt, and I think there's a lot of misinformation, or at least not maybe not misinformation, but people don't quite understand what is going on with those. So maybe you guys can talk in a little more detail about those pedals and, and kind of uh, explain, explain uh, what the, what is actually going on with them? Well, the, um, one of the things that we wanted to do 
we know that you, you know there's so many things that go into a, in the equation of a of a good dirt pedal, and sometimes it's hard to quantify. But certainly, you know, if you just talk about feel, I think you know most guitar players will have some sort of you know you know nod their head, yeah, yeah, okay, feel. Like they, you know what you're talking about, even if it's hard to you know go into a detailed description of it. But along those ends, um, Greg, our analog uh, uh, designer, uh, designed a variable gain JFET, discrete JFET preamp that is at the start of the signal chain of, of both Sunset and Riverside. And it's a uh, digitally controlled analog uh, gain circuit so that when you turn the drive knob up, you're actually increasing the analog gain and the signal flow in you know as defined in the uh, in the signal processor. So it's a it's kind of a, a you could almost think of it as a dual ganked pot in the sense there's a you know this, the driving stage that's feeding into the DSP and then the DSP uh, is also adding its gain. But that goes um, we found that that was an, an important part of um, you know of getting the, the kind of response and, and tone that we wanted. Um, and then beyond that, there's, uh, I guess, a lot of other, you know, things that happen in the DSP. If there's any more, like, um, I don't know if, if you have a, you know, a specific question, but I mean, beyond that, it's, you know, I'll, we, we did a, we used a technique that we really spent a lot of time on to create uh, just really the um, widest most harmonically rich, you know, overdrive that um, I think if you're not thinking about analog, hopefully, hopefully you know, the, the, the goal was, and I, I personally believe we achieved it, was that it's, it's a drive sound that, that really is not, um, you know, you're not thinking about digital or anything. It's just, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's traditional drive that, that the means of achieving it is, you know, we didn't want that to be part of the equation. It's just, how we do it so that we can have the control and the flexibility, uh, you know, that, that we want. So we could really craft the sounds, but, um, you know, we didn't, you know, we weren't interested in trying to make some sort of statement about digital distortion or whatever. It's like, Hey, we want to make a good drive pedal. You know, the, the, the how we do it is, is kind of, that's, that's behind the scenes. We don't want that to be the focus of, of, of what, what we've done. Yeah, that makes sense that, that, uh, it also makes sense in how how you guys presented them. I think it was just a somewhat of an unavoidable uh, thought process for most people. Like, oh, they make these great digital effects, but very few people make a good digital drive. You know, and I know that's not a hundred percent what it is, but it's a little bit unavoidable when when we're talking about a company like Strymon. I yeah, suppose. Yeah, and we we realized that it, that it would be, and that's why we, you know, in a sense, we had to, you know, almost, uh, you know, try extra hard to because we knew that that, you know, is going to be something that well, would be kind that's, of obvious. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons, you know, we've, we've been making pedals as, under the Strymon name since 2008 or nine. That's why it took us until, you know, two years ago to come out with a drive pedal because we, this is something we've been thinking about for a very long time. And it's not like we can just come out there and, and, um, and not have really thought it through and really thought through like, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to make, you know, a drive pedal that's just that's just amazing you like regardless if it's if it's analog or digital right 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 
So now that you've broken the ground on on the drive and distortion, you know, is there any plans for like maybe a fuzz? Because that's kind of my thing. It's it's possible, you know. I guess I have to maybe just recite the the standard, uh, you know, if we tell you we have to kill you, or you know, you know, we can't give it. You know, essentially, it's it's possible. You know, I think with anything that we do, we just want to make sure that we can bring something new to the table and a, a different approach, and not just, you know, I mean, to be honest, it's it's not. Um, I mean, there's a lot of fuzz pedals out there, so. You know what? What can we do that isn't just like every other fuzz pedal? And but it's not so different that you're like, oh, what the heck is that? So it's sort of like really looking at fuzzes and 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 trying to, you know, trying to come up with what we think is is uh, going to be unique. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's possible. It's a very that's a very uh, very political very political <laughs> answer. Yeah, that's why I answered. It. Yeah, leave it to the marketing guy to give a non-answer. I figured that as much. I I know marketing guys. Uh, I am one. So, uh, (laughs) um, let's talk about the, let's talk about the Magneto because that's something that I just looked at and went, you know what? That's, I'm not smart enough for that. So, um, and I feel like a lot of people sort of felt similarly, but maybe if we hear it straight from the horse's mouth, we can, I'm looking at a picture of it right now. We can, uh, kind of. Uh, understand and get our head around it a little bit better because it looks fascinating but also scary. Um, so yeah, the idea behind Magneto is it's so it's a multi-head delay, and that's so the the four knobs kind of in the center of it are the uh, the levels for each head, and then the uh, buttons behind, uh, underneath them engage feedback. So what you have is you have a multi a delay that has an independent control of the heads, the playback heads and the feedback heads. And that idea stems from, uh, there was a Benson, I uh, forget the model number 603, maybe that had these like radio buttons. So you could get any combination of but radio buttons for the heads and for the play, the, the feedback, the playback and the feedback independently. So you end up with actually 256 combinations of settings that way. So, I mean, if you think of the Benson that most people think of, it's got the four knobs going across the middle, and one of them is the, the, the selector knob where you've got 12 different arrangements of, of head combinations. Well, if you have independent playback and feedback buttons, instead of 12, you have 256. So that flexibility, you know, was kind of the idea from for the start of Magneto, um, along with um, I guess the, the real start of it came from our D-tape algorithm, which was, you know, first featured in El Capistan. So mm-hmm. we said, okay, we're going to do this for the Eurorack synth market. And, you know, uh, Eurorack synth guys, it's all about flexibility, uh, possibilities, features. So we're like, okay, you know, 256. Um, in fact, actually, since since we don't have uh, buttons, we actually have knobs for the, the delays. You could have, you know, it's actually more than 256, but let's just call it 256. But we know right, the synth guys, right. yeah, we, we didn't want to limit options uh, for them. So we've got this, is, you know, multi-head delay, but then the top knob is the speed knob. And that actually is, it works identically to a very speed, like tape machine. It's got a uh, eight to one range. Um, 
so it's like a three octave range in a sense. Uh, if, if I'm not getting uh, gonna, you know, make anyone's head explode, uh, you know, a factor <laughs> of two is an octave. So a factor of four is two octaves and a factor of eight is three octaves. So one of the unique things about Magneto is by changing that speed knob, you, you're also in effect, you're changing the pitch of whatever's in the delay. And then it kind of opens up possibilities for Magneto to be an instrument in itself where, you know, of course, this is in the Eurorack world, you've got control voltage, one volt per octave. And now Magneto can actually play sequences. You can freeze notes in it and then pitch the notes by changing the speed knob. Um, so it, it really, it added a, a whole nother dimension of this beyond being a delay. Um, but at the heart of it is, it is a delay, but it's, um, it's just kind of a very expanded, um, uh, machine in a sense. And then the, the bottom row of, of knobs are the more traditional, like the LCAP users would recognize there's, you know, wow and flutter and tape crinkle and, you know, low cut, and, um, and tape age. And we've got the, the spring reverb is, you know, independent knob. So because it was for the Eurorack market, we're like, okay, yep, features are always appreciated there. Like even, even what you might think is like, well, that's too much. is like, nah, let's, let's try it. So we have those four buttons are double duty uh, as transport controls. So there's, uh, you know, uh, pause and, and reverse. Uh, uh, there's an infinite hold, uh, you know, restart. When the deck is paused, you can, uh, the speed knob becomes a scrub control. The, uh, the pause can, can have mechanical slow down effects. So he's like, and then, you know, back up. <laughs> and, um, and, and then <laughs> there's a, 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 a tape a head knob that changes it we've got a mode called shift where it's almost like if you had a four track tape and each one of the tracks if you slice the tape like lengthwise along the, the tape so each one of those heads can run independent at different speeds that's what we have there and it does some interesting things if you've looked at some of our demos where you can get these interesting like double speed playbacks that are like rhythmically and synchronized to the input. And um, it really just took a life on its own, starting with let's go with El Kabistan and add some more heads. And then it really was, um, how about this? 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 And, you know, we never said no. And we just kept throwing it in there. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was, uh, it was, so it turned out like it did. And it's, uh, uh, it's been well received by the uh, Eurorack community and we're happy because, you know, uh, that's, you know, we, we have a lot of fun, uh, you know, with, with that stuff over here and, you know, it's, we're open we're to continue. Yeah. And, and I, as well. and I think that, uh, in general, I, I've found that most Strymon customers are sonically adventurous. Um, but when it comes to the Eurorack crowd, um, the people that are making that kind of music, I've, I've seen a lot of more experimental stuff going on in that, in that scene. So like Pete said, I think a lot of these additional features that kind of make it look a little bit, um, scary are, are, are things that people are, are inviting are, 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 you know, they're, they're inviting those types of features. Um, so yeah. 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 The, the Euro rack thing I've, uh, I've threatened to get into it for, for a few years now and I keep restraining myself because I'm already <laughs> addicted to pedals and uh, I feel like that would just be even more dangerous somehow with the, 
with everything those guys going on. But you're right; they they do seem to like the the kitchen, you know, kitchen sink approach right. to things a little bit more. They want they want to be able to get, you know, be able to manipulate everything about everything. Um, I've yeah, seen I, I've seen a lot of. I mean, like the 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 standard thing when I see a a synth guy who is interested in a pedal, they're just like, well, does it have control voltage input? Like, right, right, <laughs> sure. Well, and, and um, we actually a few years ago introduced a prototype at NAM called Generalissimo, which was sort of um, the, the predecessor to Magneto. And we got a lot of good feedback from um, some, uh, some uh, Eurorack players. And we learned that, okay, yes, um, it needs a lot more CV control mm-hmm. than we had. Uh, we, we, we rethought a lot of some of the features um, uh, and overall just made it a much better product. And, you know, a lot of that was due to the feedback that we received. And, you know, this is a, the reason why it took us, we've been asked to do Eurorack products for a very long time as well. And it's kind of the same thing as the drives. We wanted to just make sure we're entering this new arena with a different, different type of player. And we just wanted to make sure that we did it right the first time and not, you know, we we want to we want to be part of this new community and and show that we're actually listening to them and, and really understand what they want. Right, right, that makes sense. So, so then I I take it based on on all that that you're you're thinking about more products for that, uh, those guys as well for that for that market. Yes, definitely. Yes, interesting. Yeah, they they seem to have you know we've gotten a, a I guess an encouraging reception from from Magneto that. Uh, you know, I guess if everyone was like, "Oh, this is terrible," <laughs> or just put our tail between our legs, but no, uh, it, it's um, it's been well received, and uh, yeah, we we think there's we think there's some more cool things that uh, that we could uh, bring to it. Cool, cool. I'll be uh, very excited to see some of that. Um, yeah, great. So, what is a you know what does a day look like uh, around the office? I'm sure you guys it's a it's a lot different for both of you so i guess you can each take that question and uh and go with it but whoever wants to start well mine's probably not as interesting as pete so i can go first uh you know a lot of it for me is is just um you know we have uh angela and jack here are part of the social media teams we spent we spend a lot of time um in, in the marketing, like listening to what people are playing, listening to what people are doing, what they're, what kind of music they're, I could, you know what, now that I'm talk, talking about that, this is actually pretty damn interesting. So, um, uh, you know, like there's so many good, so many amazing artists that we hear using our gear and we always love to, to see how our gear inspires people. So that's what, that's like part of my motivation is just making sure that we're, you know, when, when, Pete, Greg, and Dave, and, and every all the engineers have a great idea that I can I can make I can tell a story about the product that gets people inspired and excited and wanting to um, wanting to make music with it because really the, at the end of the day you know it, it sounds cheesy but we that's really what we want we want people to be able to take our gear and and be inspired by it and make make great music so um, when people uh, post clips to Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. YouTube, we listen to everything. If you've if you've tagged Strymon or you've hashtagged Strymon, it's been listened to by one of us here. So it's not like it's just going into the ether and nobody's hearing it. We we want to hear this stuff, and you know we spend a lot of time, uh, you know, curating lists of of stuff that we post to our blog and reposting to Instagram and um, 
and that kind of thing. So a lot of my day is, you know, really looking at the gear that we're, we're working on, crafting stories that get people inspired and excited and just, you know, closing that feedback loop so we can, we can continue to see what, what our customers are doing with it. Yeah, that makes it, that makes sense. (laughs) Um, yeah, for me, typical day, uh, I've got a pretty good gig over here where I'm either playing guitar or checking out gear. I mean, that's, that's what I do, you know? Um, so I play guitar probably three hours a day now. Um, does that actually improve your guitar playing? Pete? No, because I, I play the same thing all over and over. I'm sure much to the chagrin of everyone. You know, unfortunately, and I I don't really work well with headphones. I, I you know, I can't do much critical listening with headphones. It just kind of like tweaks with me. So I, you know, I'm playing through amps or um, you know, or through you know stereo direct or, or whatever. But um, I'm usually making some noise. So uh, the guys in the office have you know, learn to adapt, which is, which is nice, but, um, it, it's really cool. Like I, I generally kind of whatever, you know, whatever I feel, I mean, I guess most of, most of the Strymon product line is, are, you know, things that I've found interesting to do over the years that they kind of turn into, you know, into products. Um, and sometimes the products are a little more planned out, like we're going to do with this or that, but, you know, a surprising amount of them just kind of come out uh, of the process of just experimenting. And we've got, you know, from that standpoint, we've got a whole bunch of things that aren't, haven't been in products yet that maybe could be, but, so, you know, you can't just, you can't just take an algorithm and just say it's a product, you know, it, it a product has to make sense. So, you know, a lot of what I do also kind of becomes like, you know, experiments that go into the library of, you know, future someday, you know, this might, you know, be, uh, be useful somewhere, but, um, I'm pretty much, you know, playing my guitar and, and, and changing numbers and, you know, making curves and, and doing things that, you know, that I think hopefully are going to turn into something that sounds good. Um, and until, uh, until you get a consensus that, Hey, this actually, you know, this is going to go somewhere. And, um, you know, that's kind of the way it's been, been, I've been, I haven't had to be too disciplined so far, (laughs) which is nice (laughs) because that's not my strong point. Um, so, uh, it's, uh, you know, it it works well for me, but I'm, I'm just always kind of experimenting with, with sounds and algorithms and, and, um, you know, you have to play guitar and, 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 you know, try it out to, to see how you're doing. So it's really, those two things are, the bulk of, of, of my days for the most part. Yeah. Has it, when you're doing that process and kind of just messing about with, with sound and what, and whatnot, um, have you ever, has any of your products been like, like you kind of like had a, like, I wonder if this harebrained idea is going to work. And then it was like, wow, this is way cooler than I thought. And now here it's a thing. Um, anything uh, in particular strike you that way? Let's see. Um, Yes. Um, I'm trying to think, I don't know if I have any specific examples, but, um, you know, some of the, some of the things we do that are just, well, like say the destroyer algorithm on, uh, on Mobius, if you're familiar with that, 
or the mm -hmm. quadrature alg algorithm. Those were, um, you know, a lot of that was just kind of experimenting and, you know, they're based on some, you know, mathematical constructs that the quadrature is, but like just kind of putting the, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you have a lot of liberty to, to you know, um, make decisions in terms of, well, how am I going to, you know, how will I create this stereo field? You know, wh what do I want to do or in the destroyer? Hey, let's make some like lo-fi filters. And then you just start, you know, kicking around some ideas. And then, um, you know, or the the record. Um, so if you're familiar specifically with Mobius, there's a, a, a vinyl. Uh, what do we call it? Uh, just vinyl. Is that D-vinyl or what do we call it? No, it's just vinyl, I think. It's, yeah. a, it, it's a parameter in the the destroyer that, that um, will give you like record scratch uh, effects um, mm -hmm. like, you know, pops and cracks. And yeah. that turns out, you know, no one cares uh, how I do it or whatever, <laughs> but it, it's like, it's, it's not just a loop. It's not just a like, Oh, we recorded some stuff. It's a very, uh, uh, fairly sophisticated, uh, you know, sequence of random events that are, you know, weighted and filtered in, in, in a, such a way that would, you know, correspond to the, the gaps of the, you know, the, the discontinuity in the vinyl, um, and that kind of stuff. And, uh, I, I, it's, it's an interesting thing. I think it's a polarizing feature because some people seem to really not like it. I remember, I always remember someone's comment was, I would like this product better if that wasn't in there. But <laughs> at the same time, it's like, I think, wow, that is really cool. And um, I probably think it's cooler than, cooler than anyone else. But that was kind of a, you know, a thing like, oh, hey, um, Destroyer. Okay, let's have a record, um, you know, a scratchy record uh, uh, thing. And, um, you know, I listened to I had this, you know, one of these old plastic, uh, I don't even know where it came from, like a 45, a plastic 45. Mm. I put it on a turntable because, you know, it was like really bad because, you know, it probably been used as a Frisbee or something. <laughs> and you just get to like listen to it and you just think like, okay, so I want to recreate that. But I, you know, in a way that's, um, uh, you, you know, got some, some realism to it. And then also there's, uh, in that, you, you, the, there's an RPM, um, in a record warp generator and the scratches, uh, also have a tendency to, you know, uh, at, at once per revolution. But again, it's not the same thing. It's just that the, um, the random processes are weighted to say, Hey, you're, you're, you're running your record at 78 RPM. So it's, you know, once per revolution, there's this area of the record that's scratchier than the others and that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm sure I've talked longer about this record. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably well, this will be the longest ever, but, uh, it, uh, I do remember when, when, when you, you finally came up with that, I'm like, this is the coolest thing. I don't know if you said it was the coolest thing you've ever done, but, but it was, you were very excited about yeah, it. I was. More so, well, and then when you pair, when you pair that with some of the filters that are also in the destroyer, that's when you really kind of get you know when it kind of really sells it even better. So anyway, that's th those those algorithms. So I guess to get back to when you're saying other things that are just kind of wacky, and you know it, it turns out to be something. Those are the the fun ones that are just kind of like, I guess you could say purely creative in a sense. You, you're not necessarily trying to, you know capture something that's that exists but you're just trying to you know just create some some sounds that are cool so that's those are the ones that i actually probably enjoy the most right that makes sense so it it is it is kind of a a fun thing to do the the whole like i kind of I, people have heard this before but like 
almost every night I come out to my music room and I get a bunch of pedals out and I, I basically try to make new sounds um, and just see what I can create. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you kind of do that, except you're doing it with code. Like that, That's exactly right. That, that's, that's a very good analogy. It, it's just like a, a blank piece of paper that you can uh, try to see what you can, uh, what you can come up with. What kind of music do you listen to that gets you inspired to create things? Um, I'm kind of a, I guess I'd say a little bit older school guy. Um, you know, I've got in my office uh, a uh, poster of uh, Jimi Hendrix uh, Band of Gypsies, his uh, concert in uh, 1969. And uh, just some of the sounds, he... He was just such an amazing player. Um, so he's probably, he's like tied for number one on my list. And the other and the other guy is Jeff Beck, who I've always just thought is so unique, has such a different approach to guitar and still continues to be an amazing player. Um, so, you know, in my younger days, I used to a lot more actively listen to, I guess what you, you know, call fusion. Um, these days, I listen to it um, still some, but um, you know, it's, it's really kind of going back to those like you know Jeff Beck Wired uh, is probably you know maybe my favorite album. Um, so you know that it's generally guitar oriented uh, music that you know I, I listen to. Something that um, big Pink Floyd fan as well, um, Steve Ray Vaughan. So that's uh, that's kind of stuff I listen to. I guess you know. I don't know if, you, if that's old man music or not, but <laughs> no, it's sort of timeless. <laughs> yes. Okay, good. Yeah, I like what yeah. you said. I mean, timeless. I, yeah, I listen I mean, to the timeless. Classics. Exactly, they're timeless classics. <laughs> um, I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, especially and, Floyd. Yeah, especially yeah. Pink. And you were pretty excited when you when you heard that uh, Jeff Beck was the Starman. Oh yes. Starman user. That was yes. a pretty big pretty yeah. big day. Yeah. For uh, yeah, he used year. it uh, on the uh, the tribute to Les Paul uh, tour he did a few years back. Uh, he was using uh, El Capistan um, on that tour, and yeah, I was um, pretty excited when we uh, when we, when we uh, heard about that. It's like, wow, he's he's the guy. Is there anybody else that uh, took you by surprise? I mean, you got a lot of stuff out there in the world. There's probably a lot of well-known artists that are. Well, I know there's a lot of well-known artists that are using your products. Is there anybody else like Jeff Beck that you were just like, whoa, kind of fanboying a little bit? Um, well, I know John Mayer uh, uses our David stuff. David Gilmore was using something for a while, wasn't he? Yeah, um, I'm not sure. That's, you know, so that's hard to tell. Some <laughs> of that, stuff, some of that stuff, it's like you know, we we don't, um, you know, a lot of people just buy the buy the gear and use it. We don't know. Uh, you know, we find out later. His, his people contacted us, but yeah. we're not quite sure. Okay. That, you know, you know, we like to give everyone their privacy, and you know, sure. And so uh, it's like, you know, we're never. Like that one, we didn't get any kind of definitive. Sure. Yeah, and we don't really, we don't really do um, artist stuff the way you know. We don't really have like traditional arrangements with with bands. It's just sort of a lot of times we'll we'll just find out if they're using it. <clears throat> I was watching. Um, it was the Foo Fighters. Uh, they had this series of uh, like well, I think there were one hour shows that they were doing where they were recording at kind of landmark uh, studios across the yes. United States. Yes, and, and, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, in advance. So they were in, I think they were in Chicago. And uh, 
so they're they're in the studio and they're, I forget what song they're tracking and, and they kind of you know it's just got them you know they're they're all kind of hanging out in the studio and you know got some ideas and they're riffing and um, uh, drummer um, drawing a blank here. Uh, Dave Grohl? Oh, Dave Grohl, yeah. yeah. Sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Dave Grohl. The, the guy. So Dave oh, Grohl, that guy? Who's yeah, that? I've never heard of him. <laughs> so Dave Grohl, uh, uh, he's talking to uh, the guitar player, Pat Smear, and he yep. says, um, he's like, oh, yeah, could you, I want to, like, get some sort of freak-out sound. And, you know, he just starts, like, kind of going crazy and making some sort of noises. And they, then they, the camera points down to Pat's board. And it's got, he had a, a Lex and maybe something else. I had no idea, I was, and, but you know, I'm watching on my big screen TV, and it's like, oh, bam, there like, we are, a, a nice high def. Like, was like, whoa, hey, I had no idea, but that was, you know, kind of nice to see that, just kind of off the cuff. So, it's yeah, always, always fun. I was also pretty excited um, when uh, Ed O'Brien from Radiohead started using a timeline. That's right. That was a pretty big thing for me. I, you know, OK Computer was one of my all time favorite albums, and it was super cool to to see, you know, him using playing on some. Playing live at Santa Barbara Bowl with, that's where we saw them. To see to see him using timeline on these songs that I you know listened to years ago, and and actually being able to to hear to pick out different algorithms like oh okay he's using uh, he's using ice delay right now <laughs> that was that was pretty pretty rad. That yeah that that had to have been just trippy trippy stuff. Yeah, that was great. That's just cool. knowing that one of one of my idols was using a product that I had a hand in in creating was pretty cool. That's really awesome. That's got to be like some part of the uh, or some of the most rewarding moments of being in this business, I I would imagine. Definitely. For sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> well, we're getting pretty close to that hour mark and I've got I've got one more question. It's it's the most important question that I ask guests, but it's it's part of um, it's hard to say. It's a little bit controversial sometimes and some people, you know, get really worked up about it and You've both got to answer it, so it's okay. it's a little bit of a yeah. It's a uh, you're sitting down, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, what kind of pizza do you like? I can't answer that question. I'm sorry. I'm getting. I'm leaving. Uh, we, 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 I'm sorry. We, this can't air. Then we no, just can't air. No, this I'm gonna slam the microphone down on the table. Uh, <laughs> I got bets. We got bets going on in the Facebook group. About okay. Right now, For so. me, it's it's cheese. I just like plain old cheese pizza. How about you? Ah, if cheese pizza. Yeah. If, if well, I had to pick. Corey, one. you were right. Oh, oh, so oh. <laughs> oh, and also, also <laughs> I should say I prefer New York style. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Chicago style. I, I'm going to probably piss off a lot of people, but I, that's, I, it's not really pizza to me. That's just to me, my personal opinion. Um, you're right. This is a controversial topic. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. It gets, it gets. It gets. heated. Sometimes. Lines are going to be drawn here. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I do agree with the New York, and I think it's just you know just a. I grew up in the Boston area, and it wasn't New York pizza, but yeah. Um, I guess you know, but we had the. Uh, I guess everyone is also exposed to the deep dish pizza. Deep, yeah. deep dish pizza is, is awesome, it, but I agree. It's almost like that. That becomes like, a, you know, a meal. It's like. Uh, it's, own, it's to, his own thing. Sort yeah, of. I like it, but to me, it's 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 a different experience to what I normally think of as pizza. Yeah. So if I had mm -hmm. to go with one ingredient on the pizza, it might be weird. Oh, it's mushrooms. I just mm. love a mushroom mm. pizza. Yeah, I do love mushrooms. I really do. Yeah. I that's not weird. I have, oh, okay, good. <laughs> I have a I have a question for you because this is a um, this is a topic that 
has we've we've come across a couple times here at the at the Starman offices um, Twizzlers or Red Vines. Oh. Uh, Twizzlers or Red Vines. Oh, I see. So this is a hard one for me yeah. because and a lot of people this is might be controversial too. <laughs> I don't really like. Uh, I'm not a big candy guy. Ooh, like yeah. I'm a savory. I'm a savory guy. Uh. I like meats and <laughs> and things. So like if you ask me if I want dessert, I'm gonna like. Can I have another cheeseburger, please? Right. <laughs> um. um but in the battle between red vines and Twizzlers, red vines for, win for nostalgia purposes. Mm. Um, but if I'm at a movie, I'd rather have Twizzlers. Interesting, good answer. Yeah, I think was our office pretty well split, or it was pretty well split. Yeah, I was a Twizzler. Yeah, I, I don't know. Did red vines, a lot of people. Did red vines kind of was that more of a West Coast thing? I'm not sure because uh, I, I don't know. Um, both Pete and I grew up in Massachusetts, so. Um, yeah, and if you if you chose red vines, I mean that's wrong, but you know we, we can still be friends. So. Okay, good, good. Yeah. No, I, uh, I yeah, I, but but honestly, the the real answer is, uh, I don't know, an IPA. I think oh, probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's yeah. I think we can um, all agree with that. Yes. <laughs> Actually, that's something we can all agree on, right? <laughs> right. You guys, um, let's see. Um, you guys have been both. You grew up on the East Coast. But you you're here in on the West Coast. I'm I'm in Portland. So okay. I'm also a West Coaster. A little different kind mm-hmm. of West Coaster, but um do you, and I but I've been spending more and more time on the East Coast and I I've I've found that like I don't know, at least in my opinion, I think I thought New York pizza was just mind blowing. I had one of the best pizzas ever that I've ever, ever ate there. Um and I still think about it probably daily. <laughs> um but I got to say, at least in Portland, we have a few spots that it's like I can scratch that itch if I need to. Right. Mm. But some people say it's impossible. What it, What about down there in California? Um, Mulberry Street Pizza is the closest I've come. Um, there's a few locations down here. Um, there's one in Encino, I think one in Beverly Hills. Uh, that's the closest I've come to New York style pizza in L.A. Because there's a lot of terrible pizza. There's a lot of good pizza here, but there's a lot of terrible pizza in Los Angeles. Well, there's one uh, place uh, right near, uh, oh. fairly close to our oh, office, yeah. Diamores. Yeah. And but they they are actually Boston style pizza, sure. and they, they say that they actually use somehow that you know they get Boston water, whatever that is, <laughs> shipped in and mm-hmm. to make their crust to make their dough with, so that uh, you know um, that it's actually authentic. Well, and I do really like it. It is very yes. uh, thin crust. Um, it is good and tasty. Tasty pizza. So, um, I, I'd say, uh, you know, what I miss from here, even though it's not Philadelphia, but in Massachusetts, we had some really good places to get steak subs. You know, um, mm-hmm. we didn't call them Philly cheesesteaks. I believe they were called grinders. They were, uh, yeah. <laughs> specifically, where I went to, I, the menu item was called a steak bomb. And, <laughs> and I haven't. I have not been able to find a, any equivalent out here to uh, to uh, take care of the uh, steak bomb itch. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> steak bomb that sounds phenomenal. <laughs> What's all on that thing? That's the way it makes you feel. It's, it's after you eat it. You're like, oh. Well, yeah, because it's so it's like the shredded steak that that's grilled up, and then they put pepperoni in. Uh, so you get the the you know the the bun with the the little you know what is that cornmeal or something oh like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah yeah and then so you put the steak in uh the cheese on the side get the steak in then there's pepperoni slices of pepperoni that are um 
put down the middle and then cheese in that. Uh, maybe even pastrami <laughs> cheese. But anyway, so it's, it's all those things. And then you throw some green peppers and mushrooms in there as well. And uh, it's really, really tasty. Steak bomb. Yeah, steak bomb. Oh, man, that sounds so, <laughs> so good right now. I'm so hungry. Oh, they, this podcast, doing this podcast always makes me hungry. <laughs> oh, man, so good. Well, all right, guys. I, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to come on. We're kind of right there at that hour mark. And, Thanks for uh, having us. Sure, absolutely. Um, man, it was it was a real it was a real treat. I I enjoyed it, and it yeah. was a it was nice to get some insight. There's a lot of speculation sometimes, and and no, but and it's nice to hear it kind of straight from the horse's mouth type situation. Sure. So sweet, very good. Cool. But if uh, there's anything else, this is your this is your chance to throw up a a billboard. Uh, where can people find you? What what do you want to say? You want to tell your mom you love her, whatever you, whatever it is, this is your guys's opportunity. I'm looking at the marketing guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we, we, uh, I, I guess I would just want to reiterate, um, a little bit what I said earlier about, you know, we do listen to, uh, everybody that, that uses our gear and posts it online. We listen to that and we always enjoy hearing that kind of stuff. So keep doing it. That's, that's, that's all I got to oh. say. And, and I, mom. I all right. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. My thanks, mom. thanks for the support. And, yeah, uh, for sure. And hi, mom. <laughs> yeah. And my mom does listen. So hi, mom. Uh, <laughs> all right, everybody. Well, for Ethan and Pete, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. It's kind of a funny thing with this podcast. There's a sort of a reoccurring theme has happened almost with every company I talk to. When I got contacted by Strymon for the interview, I thought, oh yeah, this is kind of a, a bigger operation. There's going to be, you know, a lot more layers to it and a lot more sort of red tape in the corporate sense. And no matter what, it seems like, without fail almost, that everything is much smaller than it seems. Outside looking in, some of these corporations and companies can feel like these big entities and these big, like, I don't know, um, almost overwhelming conglomerate type things. And it's it's not that at all. Almost almost 100% of the time, it's much smaller. Some of them are, are large, but it's, it's not as large as what you think. Um, it's not what you think may be coming from, like, I don't know, uh, another sort of technology company like a computer corporation or IBM or something like every everyone knows it's smaller, but I don't think everyone knows how much smaller and more condensed these things are. And talking to Strymon, it was very clear that this is no exception. They're doing great. They're doing amazing things in the industry. They have a lot of technology behind them and a lot of ideas, but they are still gear nerds like the rest of us, which is nice to know because uh, we want to you know, support the community, support our kind. And it's, it's a, it's a good thing that fortunately most everybody's chill, which is the best part of it all. So could you do the most chill thing possible and just tell a friend about this podcast? You could share this with just one person. That would be fantastic. You could share it on Facebook. You could share it wherever you think people might be interested. That is phenomenal. And that helps so much. But if you could like sit down with your best gear buddy and just be like, yo, dude, we got this podcast over here and this guy is super annoying, but he talks to a lot of interesting people and, and share it with that guy. 
at least at the bare minimum, you've ruined his day just as much as your day has been ruined right now. And best case scenario, you've helped uh, this show continue on and get a new listener. And hopefully, you know, we can keep doing this for forever. Hopefully that's the goal. So thank you very much for tuning in. If you feel like it, I haven't asked for an iTunes review in a while. iTunes is still, despite the uh, player functionality, not greatness, they, uh, they're still the big dogs in the game as far as podcast goes. And a review helps a lot. So if you could leave an iTunes review, I'd really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Got really fun episodes coming up. Might even be acoustic guitars involved soon. I'm not promising anything, though. Bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out.